if you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We've been looking through um, the first part of chapter 10 uh, from 1 through 23 to 1 through 22, and we'll be looking over the next few, few Sundays. We've looked at uh, two of them already. We've looked at the law and the purpose of the law. We've also looked um, in uh, what the supremacy of Christ and how that Christ is a better sacrifice than the Old Testament sacrifices. So let's read starting in verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that of the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore then he that cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldst not. Neither hadst thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he saith he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he has said before, This is the covenant that I make with him after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will remember no more. Now where remission of these are, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by, uh, holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, For he is faithful that promised. So as we looked at this together and we saw that the old covenant was a shadow, the old Old Testament uh, in its entirety, which was composed of, of the sacrifices and the priesthood and the covenant and all the things that we read two thirds of the Bible in the Old Testament. All of it represented what was to be done in the person of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. 
And to have Christ is to have the real, not just the picture of the real. And these, these Hebrew believers at the time were in serious uh, persecution. And they were so, so afraid that they were wanting to go back to the Jewish practices just so that people would leave them alone. So they would not be bullied and their houses taken and they're fired from their jobs and their lives be at risk. And, and the writer here just said, there's nothing you can do. You have gone from the picture, the preparation, to the real. And once you have the real, you have everything. You are truly pleasing God. And so he is ta- he's teaching that the Old Testament was not worthless, not at all. Completely valuable, but valuable in a way that would prepare us for what we have as believers. And so he wanted these people to enjoy what they have fully, because they understood it right. If you truly understood what you have, you would value it more. Have you ever given a, a small child something that was a little too old for them and they didn't know how to take care of it and it lasted a, a week or it lasted a Christmas afternoon and it was already broken because it was just a little too much for their ability? Well, God has given you a treasure way beyond that. And there are some of his children that don't understand very much of what they have. They have a diamond ring and don't know its value. They don't even know what to think about it. And then it takes our whole life to know more and more and more what God has already given us. It's not just a future event. It's something that's already in our experience. We just don't evaluate it. We don't value it enough. And so the writer is now teaching what we saw based upon what you have so that you will know the treasure that you have. And if you, ha- if you know the treasure, then you will worship your Savior more appropriately. So this passage, this whole passage we're talking about is the sacrifices. And that the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the, the, the Christ as your Savior in your place, representing you before God, is a much more valuable, precious sacrifice than the pictures of the animals offered in the Old Testament. And so we see kind of its, its culmination there in verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So the atonement, which happened every, every Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement, once a year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with a special sacrifice and would pour blood onto the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And remember, above the Ark of the Covenant was the Shekinah glory of God himself, the glowing energy of God's holiness that dwelt there with men. And in the box was the, was the Ten Commandments. In the box was God's law that he was always looking at. The law that represented him, the law that was just as high as he is, as perfect as God is, is God's law. And these was the, this was the law that men were required to keep. Well, if there wasn't an atonement, if there wasn't an atonement covering that, that box, God would be looking straight at his law and judging us equal to that law. And there wouldn't be a person among the sons of Adam that would ever be able to be accepted before God. You cannot be accepted. That is the requirement of a Savior. And it was God's plan from all time, his will. And we saw last time that that will, and this, this quotes uh, from 8, 9, and 10, quoted Psalm 40 as Jesus Christ 
speaking, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ speaking, and he said, you did not require sacrifice. You did not desire sacrifice. You desired a perfect heart. Your desire for men was that you would have worshipers with a perfect heart towards you. Jesus said the time is now where God requires one in perfect truth okay, and in spirit to worship him. These are who he requires. And a perfect heart, if you were to expect me to have a perfect heart, I would have to be, I would have to be damned as a result. There is nothing, there is, you're going to see me as insufficient. If God were going to judge me on his own standard, I would fail. But he judges our Savior, and that's what he said. Jesus himself says, Then I said, Lo, in the scroll of the book, I come to do your will, O God. So Jesus lived in our place. That's what we saw last time. He didn't just die for us. He did die for us. And the penalty of our crimes were put upon his clean head. But he lived for us. He lived beautifully every second of his life through every age. So you sin differently when you're two. Jesus needed to be two, that he would live for you while he was two, so that your sin could be covered because you were two. He was 17 because you were 17. What what 17-year-old would ever make it to heaven? None. Not one. We all need a Savior. But you think, well, I'm, I'm done with the 17. I'm not a sinner anymore because I'm 30. No, it's a different set of sins. It's a different set of temptations. It's a different way that I would offend God. I offend God differently now than I used to. That does not mean that I'm acceptable. And I may appear very clean to very many people, but if you're putting me into the harsh light of God's holiness, I will not stand. So Jesus said, lo, I come. And that the whole scriptures testified to this. In the volume of the book, it's written of me, I come to do your will. So Jesus lived for us. We also saw that it replaced it, completely replaced the Old Testament system. That it was cast aside. When Christ came as the sacrifice, there was no more need for blood sacrifice. From the time of Titus, the the general, the Roman uh, people conquered Jerusalem and devastated it, tore the temple completely down. There was no sacrifices. And the Jews were dispersed and until the 1950s. There were no Jews in Jerusalem. They were gone. They were spread to the four winds. And there has not from that time ever been sacrifices. And now there's no, nobody has any idea who the priests should be, what their genealogies were. All of that has been lost because it's no longer needed. It was a picture that pointed to Christ. And that picture went away, became obsolete, and was replaced. And that's what it said here in uh, verse 9. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So we saw that the Old Testament system was completely taken away. That, that the life of Christ might completely replace it. And he instituted it, and with the death of Christ, that sacrifice was acceptable before God. Now, when we get to 10, and we'll start here in 10. Now, I mentioned 10 just briefly in last last week, but we'll start in 10 this time. So, I wrote down for 10, it makes men holy. Okay? It, it wasn't just God's will. I saw that in, in verse 9. I come to do your will. 
Okay, that was, that's the first thing that we saw from last week, and that it replaced the Old Testament system completely when Christ came. But the third thing I wrote down is that it makes men holy. So let's look at verse 10. By the which will, okay, now I don't speak that way, but it's God's will, okay, that you have a perfect heart, that if I had a worshiper, he would have a perfect heart towards me, and then when he obeys, that obedience is actually reflecting his heart, Right? It's not just something you're forced to do. It's not a check to the tax department that you're forced to write. It is a delight to do something, and that obedience simply reflects that heart. It's the heart that God wanted, and Jesus had that heart. So it was God's will, and it replaced it. So this is by the which will. The same will that willed a perfect heart is the will that we are sanctified, you see? By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All right, so let's, let's start there and try to unpack it just a little bit. Do you see, first of all, just how thick this is? Every word is saying something. Every word is conveying meaning. So the first thing says, it's God's will that Christ came to be offered. Remember, we saw that in Romans. It was God that put Christ forward to be the propitiation through faith in his blood. It was God's idea. God did it. It was God's only plan for humanity was that Christ would be the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, by the which will were sanctified. Okay, so sanctified. This is the sanctuary. Okay, what does that mean? That just means we don't play basketball in here. That's really all it means. We don't have church suppers in here. That's all it means. A sanctuary is simply we as a organization decide that this room is only fit for certain things and not others. That's all it is. That's sanctuary. So the word sanctify just means set apart. I'm taking this and I'm only using it for this purpose and nothing more. That's all sanctify means. So the word holy, okay, that in its related word is sanctified. And it's related word saint. Okay? So a person who is holy is a saint. And so you think of the Roman Catholic idea, especially in the Middle Ages, of I couldn't possibly pray to Jesus because he will judge me. And he knows what I've done. He knows my heart. I've already ruined it before God. God sees me, so I need to appeal to him through somebody that was so good that they have leftover merit. They were so good that they essentially paid for their own entrance to heaven. They had leftover that they could give to me. And that's where all of this came from, that the saints somehow were higher or better or more able to speak to God than you are. Well, that's not a New Testament concept. A New Testament concept was when Christ was put forward to be the propitiation, God's wrath was turned away from you. And when God's wrath was turned completely away, he only has a heart of love towards you. And your belief in his son, and what I mean is not, oh, I believe that this or this. Belief is simply taking it in your hands and saying, I'm putting all of my trust in this. Christ, you lived in my place. And before God, that's all I've got. That is enough to carry you into eternity. That is enough. There is no more required than Christ was perfect in your sight. And I trust that you, it was your idea, you put him forward. It was by the which will we are sanctified. It was your will that if I trust Christ, 
that I will be counted for his, in, acceptable in his place. It is God's will. And in fact, it's, it's in several places, the whole purpose of God's will for us is that we would be holy. Now, the moment you trusted Christ, you became a saint. You're as much of a saint as Mother Teresa, even though she's now a saint. You're, and, and I don't even know Mother Teresa's heart. You may be way more of a saint than she ever was. Okay? You, are you trusting the Lord Jesus? Then you are holy in his sight. You were perfected in him, already done deal. But we see that it's, that it's an already not yet situation. That you were sanctified, you were saved, and you are being saved. Okay? What are you being saved from? Are you being saved from your nasty thoughts? Are you being saved from your nasty mouth? Are you saved from your anger issues? Are you saved from the desires that you have? Do you see, salvation is continuous, but it's also in the past. And it will also be in the future. It will be, there will be a day that you will be removed from the very presence of sin. You will have not even the first inkling to sin against your God. Do you see? There will be a finality of it. All of it together. So when it says in 1 Thessalonians, there's a, a verse that says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Do you see? It's God's will that you be made holy. So sanctification is an ongoing holiness building. Well, do you see? It, it is both. It's not one or the other. I was made and a, dis, called a saint. I was sanctified by Christ's offering. Go back to verse 10. Once and for all. That Christ offered himself once, and he did it once and for all time, and that's it. And it was that offering that sanctified me. It made me holy. When you pray, God accepts you. Do you see it? God accepts you. You may have not obeyed him perfectly. You may have obeyed him partially. Or you may be rebellious against him in a million different ways. And your Savior has sanctified you. So when you pray, you pray in Jesus' name. He accepts you in Jesus' stead. He accepts you on Jesus' record. He accepts you perfectly. You are not in a probation. There isn't a probation idea for a saint. You are as holy as God is himself positionally. Now, do you see it? How is that not a blasphemous statement? How in the world would people not shoot me for saying something that bold? Except that it is absolutely what the gospel teaches. That when Jesus died for you, your perfect record was given. Is he gave you his perfect righteousness, and now you wear his clothes. And so he perfectly accepts you. So when you pray, God doesn't say, oh, yeah, well, I know what you did. There is none of that. That all of the, your sins have gone as far as from the east is from the west and buried in the deepest sea and never to be ever recalled. Now, I can recall my sins and I can recall your sins, the ones I know about. But God is the only being in the universe that can control his own memory. And he says, I will never remember your sins against you anymore. Your Savior did that for you. And it was once and for all. Now, do you see the contrast? The contrast was back like when it, when it said that it would be offered over and over again. Verse uh, 2, where it says um, over and over again. Let's see, this is, verse. I'm sorry, verse 1. Never with these sacrifices which are offered year by year continually 
make the comers thereunto perfect. This is the Hebrews 1. Do you see? The sacrifices that you had to do over and over and over never made you totally acceptable for God. It never, never really gave you access before God. But Christ once for always, his, his work on your behalf allowed you to do, have perfect access. You, you, have, you can go into the very presence of God. And it was a once forever thing. And it was God's will that it happened. Okay? It is amazing. So the Old Testament sacrifices didn't make you holy. In fact, imagine the high priest who represents God's people, right? So the Day of Atonement comes. There is there's special bath he has to take. There's special clothes he has to wear. There's special food he has to eat. Everything is set up, set up, set up, set up. It's a big, long thing. Then he has a sacrifice just for his own sins, Then when his sacrifice is made, then there's a sacrifice made for the people, and that blood is caught in a bowl, and he comes in a procession through the the curtain into the Holy of Holies where there is no light and there is no chair. There's one piece of furniture, and that's the throne of God, and he takes the blood and he puts it on the gold lid of that box, and that's what he does, and then he leaves. Now, I don't know if that's ever occurred to you, Wouldn't he want to stay? No one else ever got to go directly into God's presence. In fact, the whole idea of the priesthood was to protect. It was acting like a wall. You had off limits. You had a building that could never be attained except for certain people. Then you had one room within that building that could only be approached once in a year by one person. And it was a special offering. And you even had to sew bells around the bottom of his dress just to know if he was alive or not, because you had no way of going in to get his carcass. Does does that make any sense? So the idea that he was able to go into God's presence, well, this is the God you know of. This is the sweetest being that, that is in existence. This is in your presence, oh God, is fullness of joy. Would you not want to stay? Would you not just want to hang out? Would you not want to say, oh, I know I just already did the thing, but I just want to stay and adore you, God. I just want to be with you forever. But he had to immediately leave. He had to immediately leave because just that act was already the next second had already ticked in the clock. And it was already into the next year. Do you see it? So he had to leave. There was no chair was no chair there was no way that you could sit down because the priest would continuously always have to work always have to work always have to work there was always another sacrifice there was always another sacrifice there was always another sacrifice okay so so it's interesting that this uh, this idea of never done so i just wrote this down in one festival week Okay, like the Passover week or one of the festivals where everybody had to come and there was a daily sacrifice. There were 300,000 lambs slain in one week just for that sacrifice. In addition that there was a morning sacrifice every day, there was an evening sacrifice every day, there was a new moon sacrifice every 28 days. There was a sacrifice for everybody that had something that was joyous in their life. There was a a thank you, God, sacrifice. There was a I want to be with you, God, sacrifice. That you're awesome, 
I, you're bigger than I know sacrifice. And then not even to mention every sin you ever committed required a sacrifice. Do you understand that the priest's job was just to gut, gut, gut all day long? They were just, they were just spewed with blood from morning to night, 24 hours a day forever. And it never ended. There was no chair to sit down. Okay? But let's look at 11 and 12 and 13. This is, this is so powerful. Every priest ministering daily and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which never take away sins. First of all, just that's not even the full sentence. That's just the clause at the beginning. They never finished. They were always continuously offering, 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 and their offering didn't even do what it was supposed to do. They worked furiously for their entire lives, never accomplishing anything. All it did was cover, temporarily cover their sins. It never took them away. It never made the, the worshiper perfect. It never made you acceptable. God never truly accepted you on your own basis because you were not ready yet. And so they just continuously worked. But look at the contrast. This is as strong as it gets. This is a frying pan to the side of your head. Verse 12 says, but this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Do you see it? He did it. It was done. At the beginning, the first verses of, of Hebrews is talking about that God, that God sent word through his prophets originally. But now in these last days, he's, he's communicating through his son. You see, this passage in 10 is saying God at one time had sacrifices that were animal sacrifices, but now his son has sacrificed himself. So that's what we're talking about in chapter 10. In chapter 1, he's saying God spoke through the prophets, but now he's speaking to his son. This is verse 3. Who, this son that he's mentioning, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the brightness of God's glory is Jesus Christ. The express image of his person. The express image. You want to see God? Look at the face of Jesus. You want to see God's mind? Look into Jesus' behavior. You want to see what he wants, what he likes, what he hates? Look at how Jesus treated people. This is God you're looking at. And it says, The express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power... Oh my goodness, how long would it take you to unpack that? Everything that exists is existed in the power of Jesus in active thought. He doesn't just create you and forget about you. He sustains you heartbeat to heartbeat to breath to breath for the rest of your life. And how many of us hate God? How many are, how many are parading, oh no, we want to kill our children. How dare you take away my rights? Does that, does that make sense? That that. That in-your-face quality. And God is upholding every heartbeat once at a next and a next. This is God who upholds all things. Not just your life, not just your breath. He's keeping the very atoms together. That one day he's simply just going to release his hand and the fervent heat will come out of every atom in the universe and burn with fervent heat. Because he's sustaining through, through his power. And it said, when he himself had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand, it's done. It's finished. It's over. It's completed. Okay? So I wrote down number four, that this new sacrifice, 
removes sin. It removes it. It's no longer there. It is not covered. It's not an atonement. It is an expiation. It's a removal. It's gone. It's as if it were never there. When you are judged before a righteous God and you will be judged before a holy God who will judge you in righteousness, you will be found perfect in his sight. Perfect. Now, will I fear my judgment? Absolutely, because I've never been judged by a holy God in real time. I've never experienced it. So, yes, it's a very tremulous time. But according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. He removes your sin. Now, verse 12 and 13 quotes. Remember I said that this entire whole book of Hebrews is a sermon preached on Psalm 110. This quotes 110 in verse 12 and it quotes verse in 13. So back to 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And 13 says, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Okay, both of these are referring to the first verse in uh, Psalm 110. So Psalm 110 says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Now, I told you that this psalm, Psalm 110, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Jesus refers to it when he talks to a Pharisee, and he says, Okay, so David is the king, right? And David wrote Psalm 110, and he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. So Jesus says, Who's Jesus talking about? Or who's David talking about? My Lord, the Lord, so obviously that's God Almighty, speaking to my Lord, Well, who is David's Lord, Jesus says? Well, he's the king and he has God, but the Lord is speaking to my Lord saying, you sit down until I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus is saying, oh, he's speaking about the Messiah? Well, how can he be his Lord if he's David's son? See, Jesus understands everything. He understands the way all things were made and that the Messiah Jesus himself was the greater son of David and that God speaking to the son says, you have now finished your work. Now sit down until, so there is time that's ticking after the death of Christ where there are wickedness in this world. There's wickedness and there's people parading their rights for a long time until I will make your enemies your footstool. God will do it. And so this is, this is that. So I wrote down number five. He vanquishes Satan. This sacrifice of Christ vanquishes Satan. He crushes him, completely crushes him under his foot, that there's nothing left, that it's, it's a done thing. It's, it, it is, it's something that I will make your enemies your footstool that you will actually prop your feet up on the necks of your enemies. This is Hebrews chapter 2. For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, okay, since humans are flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part in the same. Jesus Christ said, Lo, you have a body prepared for me. He became a man. 
Why did God have to become a man? He became a man because the people God were interested in saving were men. And because they were flesh and blood, it says here, he himself likewise took part in the same, that through death, Jesus' own death, his sacrifice once and for all, he might destroy him that had the power of death. Do you see it? Satan is the guy who had the power of death. That is the devil. That in his dying, he destroyed death. And in his dying, he destroyed the one that had power of death. The one that all people with flesh and blood were, were paralyzed by. And destroyed by and tricked by. So you can, you can get all huffy at people who, who are blind, but they've been tricked. They're, they're, they deserve their own damnation. I'm not saying they don't, but they've been tricked. Their minds have been tricked. They have been, they have had their, they are thinking one thing that's not the truth. Do you see it? And their hearts have been warped as a result. God defeats the devil that way. How? By his own sacrifice. When he died on the cross, he took God's wrath away from men. And now God has only kindness towards men. Now the devil has no power against them. There is no power at all. And the devil may roar and, and rage. And you may hear his voice in the air trembling as you hear it. And you're scared because he's more powerful than you. He cannot touch you. Cannot touch you. You are protected. The, the, he, he's a lion, yes. But he is a lion on a chain. He is a dog that can bite your head off, but he's on, a, he's on a chain. And he's chained too far from where you walk. You walk the straight and narrow, that chain does not reach to the middle of the straight and narrow. So there's nothing that, that he can do. He vanquishes Satan. And then the last thing, this is verse 14. For by one authoring has he perfected forever them that are being saved. Them that are being sanctified. Now, the King James says here, them that are sanctified. I don't know what your version you read from. Most of the modern versions will actually put it in the perfect. Are being sanctified. Are being made holy. You see? And we've already talked about that. You've been made holy and you're being made holy at the same time. Those that are being sanctified, he hath perfected. Now, you see the difference in the verbs? He perfected them. Done. While you're being made holy. Okay? He, and you had to be made holy in order to be perfected. That's interesting. He made you perfect. Now, what does that mean? This word is the same word that Jesus utters in the cross. This is John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now they were set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That's the word perfected. Exactly. He said he has perfected forever. He finished it. It was done. What did God accomplish by sending the, the Son, the Son of God, to die for men, what was God's interest? 
He wanted something to happen, and he made it happen. It was done. It happened when Jesus died. And when Jesus died, he said, it is finished. Well, what was finished? His work for those people had been finished, and in his perfecting them, they were perfected. They have access. You have access, Christian. You have access to a holy God, and you will never have to go away. When you come into God's presence, you stay there. Have you ever heard of Beulah Land? Beulah Land just means you're not in heaven yet. But same as. How hard is your life? Do you have to work hard every day? Does everything hurt on you? Yes, you're not glorified yet. But you're in God's very presence, never having to leave. You, you stay and enjoy him forever. What is the chief end of man? To love God and enjoy him, glorify him forever. That's what you do. You never have to leave. So the priest that ministered that had to leave immediately, even if he'd have wanted to stay, Jesus came and sat down never to leave again, and now you are in him, and when you come into God's presence, you stay. And if it's now, it's now. And when a small child becomes a Christian, it's now for all of his life. Can you imagine living an entire life and not having to, to go through the pain of what your sins do to you, destroying you, to where you look to Jesus, look to Jesus with your simple faith. That's all it is until you die. And then you go to him and then there's no more. There is no more. It's done. It's over. It's finished. It is finished, he cries. So... I just, I pity people who think that they can please God through the law, through being good, through keeping a list, which they can't keep. And they brag, oh, I did it. I conquered the Amalekites. And God's like, you did not conquer the Amalekites. You didn't even obey me. And you're like, oh, yeah, yes, I did. Do you see it? It is, it is something that is finished. 